So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to learn from those words, live by those words. Uh, Use these next few minutes, what I'm going to say, the thoughts we're going to think, to help us be more like you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome all of you here. I just want you to know I am ready for the game. I have my Seahawks socks on. I am, I am ready. I don't know theologically whether God cares who wins the game today or not, but I care. So I remember once uh, hiking with a friend in the Sierras, and we got in this stupid competition about who could hike longer and harder. It was sort of a who is more macho kind of a thing. And the trail had thousands of feet of elevation gain, and, 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 and there were mosquitoes everywhere. We hiked over 25 miles in one day, most of it straight up. And by the end, I had blisters all over my feet. My legs were bleeding. I had so many mosquito bites. But neither of us would admit that we were hurting. We kept saying things like, I could go another 30 miles. How about you, you wimp? It was so much fun. Honest, it was just a blast, especially since he was 12 years younger than me. And the next day, he could not move. And I could, sort of. So it made me feel young. But even though it was fun, it was not helpful. It was not healing. Uh, it, it, was, it was hurting. And it's a good image for how we do relationships, I think, even our close friendships. We hide what we're carrying, our burdens, our hurts, our flaws, our failures. It's like in Monty Python where the knight gets his arm cut off and says, just a flesh wound, right? That's us, sort of the whole east side, just a flesh wound, I'm good, I'm good. But the passage that Kevin just read gives us a different image of what community could be. And usually this passage is used to talk about prayer, which is one of the things that it's about. But it's, it's also, if you look at the larger context, it's also about community and how we are made whole in community. That is, we aren't healed, we aren't made whole individually, but together. Because relationship is the software that we run on. But even as I say that, one of the things that I'm challenged with in this sermon series on community is, do you even want that? Do you even want community? Uh, Someone said to me this week, I don't like this sermon series and I hate this topic. That's always very encouraging to a preacher to hear. It always makes you feel great, right? Yeah, all right, I'm so excited about that. But so let, do, you, do we really, really want these kinds of friendships where, yeah, we have fun together and we celebrate, but also where we help each other out, where we don't have to posture and pretend and can just be honest with what we're really going through? I mean, do we really want that kind of community? Because after all, I mean, it can be awkward and uncomfortable and it can be hard to do that kind of community. Because I said, as I said last week, you know, people are irritating, aren't they? So community is hard. My brother used to have a coworker who was a kind of know-it-all kind of guy and would always correct my brother on everything. And he always used the phrase exponentially. Profits are up exponentially. And my brother said, well, you know, actually it's exponentially. And this guy, no, it isn't. It's exponentially. Get an education. Drove my brother nuts. People can be exponentially irritating, <laughs> which makes community difficult. And real community is uncomfortable. Because it means, well, maybe I might have to talk about what's really going on, and that might involve emotions. And I chose a Presbyterian church so I didn't have to have an emotion. So don't be baiting and switching on me, Dudley. And I got to admit, there's a part of me that's, that, that, that's like that, because it's just easier. But like my hiking experience, not healing. I have heard so many stories of people who've known each other for years, and then like one of the couples will get divorced. And everyone says, we didn't see it coming, man. That shows that maybe they had a great social group, but not real community. They weren't talking about the real stuff. We don't want to do it, do we? 
We don't want to talk about our, the things we're carrying, our problems, our marriage issues, financial issues. On the east side, man, I think for some, it is easier for some people to talk about sexual issues than financial problems on the east side just because of the culture that we're in. But that creates a culture of posing and pretending that we've got it all together where we have to work really hard to get bigger jobs and bigger houses and look like we've got the perfect marriages and perfect bodies and all of that. Just fig leaves to cover over our wounds, cover over our flaws, cover over our worries. But that is a lot of work and it's a ton of stress, isn't it? And it's stupid. You know what's so stupid about it? See, this is one of the advantages of my job is I actually know what's going on with you guys because you tell me. Pastors and bartenders, we get to hear the truth. So I know what's out there, right? And I know, I mean, people who look like they've got it the most together are often they've got, you know, addictions or problems with their kids or all kinds of stuff. Back in November when I asked you to write down prayer requests anonymously on, a, on cards and then we exchanged them, remember? And I, I said, whatever you're going through, someone in this church is going through the same thing. Afterwards, a man said to me, when you said that, I, I thought, yeah, whatever, But then when we did the prayer card exchange, he had just had a cancerous lesion removed from his face, and he got a card from someone who had cancer. His wife was having a career issue. She got a card, prayer card, from someone who had a career issue. Her son, their son, was having trouble with a teacher at school. He got a prayer card from a teacher. See, I got stuff. You got stuff. All God's children got stuff. So why are we pretending that we don't have stuff? And aren't you kind of just sick of the culture of posing here on the east side? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have one place that you could go where you didn't have to pretend to have it all together, where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came? (laughs) You want to be where you can see that troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. And everyone under 30 right now is wondering, why is he talking in rhyming couplets? (laughs) It's because they don't know the classics. So let me do a little education here. It's from a TV show called Cheers, which was set in a bar, which is actually very telling. Writer Charles Swindoll says, the reason the bar is popular isn't just alcohol, but because it's unshockable. You can tell people secrets and they don't tell other people. He says, the bar flourishes because God has given us a desire to be known, and so people seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. Church, we need to be more like a bar. Some of you are like, Sweet! We're going to tap a keg. Not what I mean. We need to be unshockable. And the passage we read today says that we find our greatest fulfillment and wholeness in a community that is characterized by two things, both beginning with the letter H. And the two things are hilarity and honesty. And I know I'm stretching it a bit with the word hilarity, but I figured if they both started with the same letter, it might help you remember the sermon better because I know you don't actually remember the sermons. And the reason I know that is because sometimes when I'm asked on Monday what I preached about the day before, I can't remember. So if I'm forgetting my sermons, you've got to be forgetting my sermons. So let me start with the first one, hilarity. What do I mean? Passage says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. That is, celebrate. Because we're not just made whole in a community that cares about us, but where we can celebrate together, have fun together. Now, if you were to ask where can I go to celebrate and have fun? Church might not pop into your head, just guessing. But God says it should. In the Bible, God tells the Israelites to give a portion of their money to their place of worship and to spend some of that on celebrating. The Bible says, spend the money on oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, and you shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your household rejoicing together. Church just got more interesting, didn't it? In other words, church, get your party on. 
Now, now God's not saying, you know, abuse alcohol or be materialistic. Of course not. Those things lead to spiritual death, but he is commanding celebration. Jesus' first miracle is to turn water into wine at a wedding so that the party can keep on going. And, you know, one of the things people did back then at a wedding, like they do today, is they danced, which raises an interesting theological question, doesn't it? Do you think Jesus danced at that wedding at Cana? I mean, it kind of gives you a different image of picturing Jesus out on the dance floor doing one of these, right, or the sprinkler, right? Like, it's just kind of this different picture. But, but probably, because celebrating is healing. I lost my place. <laughs> celebrating is because I got lost in the sprinkler. <laughs> made myself dizzy. Celebrating is healing because when we celebrate, you know what we're doing? We are focusing, dwelling on the good things in life. And we are reminding ourselves that no matter how bad life gets, there's always at least one thing to celebrate at bare minimum, the fact that God loved us enough to die for us. So invite some folks over and celebrate. When someone gets a promotion or has something good happen to them, even if you feel a little jealous, because that can happen sometimes, say, man, I wish that had happened to me, but I'm also glad that it happened to you. Buy them a cup of coffee. Get them to talk about the good thing that just happened. I have a good friend I've known for 20 years. In fact, he's here this weekend from the Bay Area. <laughs> this afternoon's going to be real interesting. Greater love has no man than this, that he overlook his friend's bad taste in teams. He and I worked side by side together the whole time that I did college ministry, and through that we became really good friends, and we've been real honest with each other. He has been one of my best counselors over the years. Uh, we, we've celebrated each other's victories. We've had fun together. You know, when we did college ministry, taking students on rock climbing trips, ski trips, all sorts of stuff, um, which, as I said last week, I think is so important, I think especially for guys, to do stuff together. Because men, we don't tend to make friends face-to-face as, as much as we make friends side-by-side. And he and I built a college ministry together, and that forged a friendship. And we have all these great memories of the hard times, which are now kind of funny, and the good times, you know, we, we can look back on. <clears throat> I remember one night after a particularly great evening of worship in my college group. I mean, the, the music was great, the amazing talk, if I do say so for myself. I mean, students were laughing, they were crying, it was just awesome. And my friend and I were walking back to our car saying, wasn't that a great night? And then, as, then we saw this group of about 15 guys biking through the Stanford campus. And then we noticed not a stitch of clothing on them. Not one of them had any clothing. And then I said, wait, they look... No. Sure enough, every one of those guys was in our college group. I mean, they just had this great night of worship and as an act of worship, I guess, decided to go out and streak through the Stanford campus. And... The killer was between me and my friend, we had mentored every guy in that group. Like so much for our mentoring skills, it led to that, right? But we had a great laugh. I mean, we can look back on those things and just remember and celebrate and have a good time. Hilarity is healing. And then the other thing that is healing is honesty. Passage starts by saying, is anyone in trouble? And that can mean any kind of trouble. Basically then, pray about it. Get honest about it. And then it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I know this passage raises questions about what happens when we pray and someone's not healed. Great question. I've answered that in other sermons, so I'm not going to answer that today, except to say that the Greek verb for healed can mean either physical or spiritual healing. But this verse is more than just about prayer. It's about community. It says, confess, get honest about your stuff because that's how you're going to get healed. 
Not that illness is a punishment for sin. Jesus makes it clear it's not. But modern medicine does tell us if we've got secrets, if we've got problems, and we're, not, and we're carrying that, burying that, that's going to affect our health. The stress of that's going to affect our health. So this passage describes an unshockable community where we're free to confess everything, be real, and find acceptance, love, healing, which is radically counterculture, isn't it? Because everything in our culture pushes us to hide our problems, hide our flaws, our sins, our weaknesses, pretend, posture, pose. And it's all around us. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in the culture. In fact, someone recently sent me a Pepsi commercial from a few years ago that I think makes this point pretty well. So I want you to take a look at it. There's a man who leads a life of danger. Everyone he meets, he stays a stranger. a sandwich like a Pepsi. It's the cola. I think that makes the point pretty well. Not me. You know, deflect, pretend someone else's problem, posture, hide, pretend. You know what, though? That kills growth. How can we grow through our problems if we don't admit we've got them? Been so many times I've been doing marriage counseling, and I think I wish this couple had come a year earlier. We've been so much easier to fix. Sometimes they'll even say the same thing, but they didn't do it because they didn't want anyone to know they had a problem. Our pretending kills growth. And it also kills us because it's just a ton of pressure to keep up appearances. Plus, we feel lonely because no one really knows us, and we are haunted by the thought, if they only knew, well, then they'd leave. And I got to say, I have never lived in a place more pathologically afraid to be honest, more pathologically addicted to pretending than the East Side. I mean, Silicon Valley, where I lived before, I mean, it was bad, right? But, but it was Northern California. I mean, they're all messed up there, right? And, and they talk about it all the time, right? Like, how many Californians does it take to change a light bulb? Five, one to change it, and four to share the experience, right? But there's something healing, maybe not go as far as California, but there's something healing. We are set free when we stop pretending. And the reason we can do this is because we are already forgiven by Jesus. He has paid the price for our sins. So what we offer each other is to hear our struggles and then simply reaffirm the forgiveness and the acceptance that we already have in Christ. Our young adults pastor, uh, director Ryan Beatty says, we see each other with Jesus in between. We see each other through Jesus. So then practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we begin to get more honest with each other so that we can be healed? Well, it's, it's actually it's kind of complicated. You just get more honest. Right? There's no other way to do it. You just have to get more honest. When we did the prayer request exchange back in November, remember I said write down a real prayer request, not something superficial, you know, no prayer request for your aunt Edna's bunions or something like that. And uh, a week later, one of our elders came, came up to me with a cast, and I said, well, what happened? And she said, I have bunions. So, okay, if bunions are your real issue, that's fine. But for the rest of us, right, start asking each other deeper questions. Like, what are your worries? What are your problems right now? What, 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 how's your marriage doing really? Ask those questions, but also volunteer that information. And as you get to know each other better, start asking deeper things. There are guys in my life that I have given permission to ask me some very personal questions. 
Things like, how are your finances? Is there any sexual sin in your life? What haven't you told me that maybe you should have told me? And I know that sounds personal, but it's so liberating to be honest about that kind of stuff with someone that you really trust. So it, it, it's, I recommend it to you. In fact, let's practice. Turn to your neighbor, and you know, some of you are like, is he really? No, don't worry about it. Not, not here, but out there, you should do it. Now, caveat, okay? Our relationships with one another need to be more than just whining about our problems, right? So don't go overboard. There's a movie called What About Bob? where Bill Murray plays a guy who follows his psychiatrist around, always wanting to talk about his problems. And there's a scene where he's standing outside the psychiatrist's dining room window while the psychiatrist and the family are eating dinner together. And Bill Murray just stands there and goes, I need, I need, I need. So... There's a fine line between sharing your soul and sucking the life out of someone. So don't suck the life out of someone, right? And don't share these kinds of things with just anybody and everybody, but just a few close friends. And not all at once, but gradually. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be super awkward to do this. It could just be someone you know from Bible study or you hike with or you go golfing with. I mean, golf is great for this because it's so endlessly tedious. There's tons of time to talk. And it's so frustrating, there's always plenty to confess. Go golf with someone. And if someone tells you their secrets, someone tells you something personal, man, handle that with care. Oh, gross, you did that, ick, go away. Usually doesn't work. But neither does it work to say, oh, that, no big deal, I do that all the time. In biblical community, we don't judge, but we also don't encourage people to keep on doing things that are harmful and sinning. So you say something like this, man, this doesn't define you. God forgives you and so do I. And God loves you so much, he's not going to leave you the way he found you. So how can I help you grow? And then pray for that person. Because we do not carry, we don't have to carry anyone's burdens on our own. But what we do is we take them to Jesus for that person. And it's so healing and so encouraging to know someone's praying for you. And obviously, if someone tells you something personal, don't tell anyone else, not even your spouse. And since someone's got to go first in a friendship to get this kind of thing going, it might as well be you. And I know in a culture of posing, this is hugely risky. I understand that. But we're talking the difference between spiritual life and death here. So you got to do it. Yeah, but they might judge me. Yeah, some might. So don't tell them. Ask God to show you who a good person would be to talk to more deeply. And then pay attention to who's in your life. Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor, man, if, it, if my weaknesses and my problems got out with, at work or with my friends, man, I'd be doomed. Oh, don't be playing that card with me, man. Do you know how much pressure there is in my line of work to look perfect? It can't be worse in your line of work. Why do you think I'm always telling you all the ways I mess up? To lower expectations <laughs> so that I don't have to meet them. But also to show you, we don't, perfection is not required here. That's not what we're going for. And as I've done this over the years, as I've been honest with friends, I mean, yeah, it is scary to do that. But then hearing my friends say, Scott, I have never respected you more than I do now. Do you know how powerful that is? When someone knows the bad stuff about you and they say, I've never respected you more, makes you want to go find some more bad stuff to tell them because it's so liberating. Henry Cloud is a Christian psychologist and a business consultant, and he tells a story about how after the financial crisis in 2008, one of his clients was a Wall Street bank. They had financial advisors all over the country, and these guys were getting letters that said things like, you know, you, need to, you should die, or you should be in prison, or all this stuff. And most of these advisors, they're just good people, and they were trying to do the best they could for their clients, and financial crisis wasn't their fault, but they were getting blamed for it, and they were just in a world of hurt. 
So Cloud basically put them in small groups like we do here in church. And he simply asked, what's it been like for you? And got them to talk. And they said things like, I've been a leader in this industry for 20 years, but now I just come into work and I just stare at my computer screen. Another said, I, I wake up every, every morning at 2.15. Woman next to him said, yeah, my time's 3.15 every morning. None of them had been talking. They were just pretending that they had it all together while inside they were just dying. Well, pretty soon folks started to say things like, I'm so relieved to know I'm not the only one who's going through this kind of thing. CEO got bombarded by emails saying things like, I can't believe the company cared enough about me to send someone to get us to talk together about how hard this has been, and it's already changing everything. Spouses were calling saying, thank you for giving my husband or giving me my wife back. They were healed simply because Cloud applied biblical principles of community in the workplace. I got an email a while back from a couple who've been part of a small group here for 10 years at Bell Press. And a while back, the wife, she said she just broke down in one of their meetings and finally let the group know what they had been hiding for so long, just a lot of problems in their life, especially financial issues. And they said they saw everything slipping away, partly because of the economy, partly because the husband had been laid off, partly because some clients had, a, a, a co-worker had stolen some clients from the wife's business and partly just through some bad choices of theirs. Now, it may not sound like, you know, confessing your darkest sin to talk about financial problems, but really, here on the east side, I think that was one of the hardest things to talk about. And the wife said, although we do share in our small group, I'd never let them know just how bad it was. And she said they were great. They were strong, supportive Christians. I felt better just having shared it. See, just getting it off your chest is healing. Well, then a couple weeks later, they got a card from their small group and, and that said they were going to come alongside of them, and enclosed was a check for $2,500 that the group had given them. Wife said, I've never felt so loved and so blessed in my whole life. Nobody has ever done anything like this for me, ever. So they put the money in savings in case they needed it to stay in their home for another month, and then over the next few months, things got a little bit better. Her business started to pick up a little bit better, which helped, and things began to be on the mend. Now, that $2,500 didn't fix everything, didn't cure their financial problems, but it did say, we're not judging you, and we're with you, and we're here to help. And just to have it out in the open and know that they had a, a band of brothers and sisters that were, that were walking alongside of them was hugely healing. And she ended her email saying, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, she ended her email saying, just one small example of community at Bell Press, Scott, I thought you might like to know. As uncomfortable as it is to be honest about what's going on inside of us, it is hugely healing. So here's your homework for this week. Two things. First, go celebrate with someone. Find someone, celebrate something good in their life, something good in your life. Just celebrate, have fun with someone this week. And then in one friendship, second piece of homework, ask a little bit deeper question and share something just a little bit deeper than you ever have before. Because see, here's the thing. Ain't nobody doing this kind of community even though everyone inside really is dying for it. That's part of why people flocked to the early church, because they saw this amazing community happening, and they wanted it. And if we get this kind of community happening here, we're going to need 15 services on a Sunday to accommodate the hordes that are dying to belong to that kind of a place. In the Bible, Jesus says that he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As you've heard me say before, what that means is that hell is a gated community. And that is exactly how C.S. Lewis depicts it in his book, The Great Divorce. This vast plain where people hate each other so much they move galaxies apart just to be alone. 
But the work of Jesus and his cross is atonement, at-one-ment, pulling together that which has been pushed apart, God and us, us and each other. So get a little honest, get a little hilarious, and you will get new life. So Jesus, thank you that we're already forgiven and we are already accepted in you. Help us to live in that freedom with one another, to be the kind of healing community you want to create us to be. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.